Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com. I Work, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Thanks for tuning into I Work For Him today. Thanks for tolerating me with this over a week-long bout with laryngitis and fighting my, my voice. We got rain yesterday in Florida, so I'm hoping that the pollen goes away and I can actually start breathing normal again. But here's a question I have for you today. Do you ever sit and wonder how your faith applies to your situation at work? Have you ever just wanted to raise your hand in church and say, Hey, but my workplace is different. I need to know how to help deal with ornery coworkers and a boss that hates me. Where do you go and get answers on questions like these and the other ones that you have about maybe a moral compromise at work and so much more? As I've said so many times on the air before, and it's highlighted on a song, a great song by Whiteheart in the 1980s. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. The Bible has all the answers that you and I need. That, coupled with a great mentor in your life, can help you apply that biblical wisdom to your situation. But sometimes it's just nicer to read a book with all that done for you and answering those questions right up front. Hence, our conversation today. We are always scouring the world for books that have been written that you and I can learn from, that we can gain information from. We ran across this book, Martha and I did, called Where is God at Work? by the author William Morris. He likes to go by Will, and he's calling in today from the UK. Will Morris, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you very much, Jim. I'm delighted to join you. Well, and it's we don't get a lot of phone calls from the, the UK into I work for him. Although we've had it, we've had one other one, and I've got a friend of mine from the UK who now lives in Texas who's been on the show. But we, I love what I loved about your book, Will, was it? It was just so transparent. And with your experience of having worked in the US and worked in in the UK and understanding both of our business cultures, I loved that because when you wrote the book, you really wrote it to to, to two different countries, and, and I I thought that was fantastic. Will, you've been a Christ follower for for some time now. You're also an ordained priest. Is there some aspect of you that God's still working on, that he's still shaping into the image of Jesus? Jim, I hope he's working on all the aspects. Um, I have absolutely no doubt that until the day I die, um, there are things that I need to work on and things that God can help me with. Um, He can help me as a dad. He can help me as a husband. He can help shape me as a friend. He can certainly help shape me as a, as a priest and a pastor, but he also helps shape me in the workplace. Uh, and that obviously is part of what this book is, is about. And one of the questions that I have asked myself for on and off the past 30 years is, you know, why am I doing this? What is the meaning of this? And what does God want me to do in this? And 
you know, I think about that. I write about it. I, I'm not sure that I have uh, many answers. I certainly don't have all the answers. And, you know, I pray, uh, continue to pray that God will help point me in the right direction. Uh, you know, I need shaping. We all need shaping. And uh, thankfully, God will do that. But, you know, particularly in the workplace, sometimes our churches don't give us the answers. It's all about Sunday morning and it's not about, you know, Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday or however long you work. And that part of the shaping is sometimes difficult. You're right. It's in the book, um, uh, in the Bible. Um, but, you know, we need help to dig that out sometimes because we have to think about it metaphorically sometimes, not literally. But also, as I say, we don't always get help from our churches uh, in how to think about it. Well, and that's what I love about the fact that you're a priest, you're a pastor right there in the Church of England, and, you, and you've got the ability to actually take what you're writing about and helping your own congregation. So talk, talk to us about why did you write this book, Where Is God at Work? Was it a question you were asking? Uh, it's a, well, as I said, it's a question I've asked myself um, for, for decades now. Um, when I was at university, I thought very hard about getting ordained back then. Um, but I decided, uh, in conjunction with the pastors at my college, that I should go out to the world uh, and experience that. But these are the questions uh, which have always interested me and to which it's hard sometimes to get, a, to get an answer. So now how do I think about the people around me? How do I think about my boss? How do I think about you know, the guy who works for me? How do I think about uh, the team that I'm with? How do I think about you know, the new arrival? How do I think about being sacked? It's happened once. Um, uh, and then, you know, what about all the dilemmas that present themselves at work? These are always presented to us in church as being personal dilemmas or dilemmas, you know, between friends. What happens in the workplace? How do we deal with that? Uh, and then in the final part of the book, um, uh, I sort of flip that around and say, if we look at this through the prism of the Bible, we look at the workplace through the prism of the Bible, what does that tell us? And then exploring that parable. So these are questions which have always interested me. And about four years ago, I guess, I got the opportunity to to do a series of talks uh, at, at church, lunchtime talks, uh, to folks in the workplace who had half an hour to come in. And I got to design it myself. And you know, basically, my senior minister said to me, you know, what are the things that interest you? Talk about those. So this started as a series of talks. Um, and uh, when, I'd done, uh, when I'd done 25 of them, uh, I thought, well, okay, let's see if I can turn it into a book. You know, on a good day, 40 people came. On a bad day, 15 or 20 came. Uh, and, you know, rather like you in the radio station, I thought, wouldn't it be great to reach out to a few more people than that? So uh, I said about it and I was very fortunate. A publisher liked it. They took it forward. And, uh, uh, and you know, that's been great. Well, why don't you share a little bit of cultural uh, perspective for us? Because, you know, most people listening to the show here don't have a great UK perspective. And but we do know that everybody listening to this show has asked that same question. Hey, you know, I, I know that what I'm learning on Sunday is supposed to apply to what I'm doing Monday through Friday. Yet I don't hear a lot of sermons like that. Are people in the UK asking that same question? Are they looking for somebody to help them connect the dots between their faith and their work between what they hear on Sundays and what they're learning in the nine to five? Are, are, is, are people asking that question there in the UK as well? People are asking the questions. They ask it in a slightly different way. I mean, it won't surprise you or your, your listeners to, um, to hear that the UK is probably a more secular country um, than, uh, uh, than the US. Uh, nevertheless, there is a real spiritual striving amongst many people, even if it doesn't always get acknowledged as Christianity or indeed any other faith, there is this spiritual striving to understand what it is 
they're doing that's important? What is the important thing in that and, and how do they get to that? Um, clearly, you know, as a priest, as somebody in a church, that's a question that people will ask me more directly. But I know in the workplace as well, when I first, I was ordained um, about eight years ago. And, um, you know, people, people close to me knew that I was getting trained, but I hadn't exactly put a poster up on the wall. And then when I got ordained, uh, my, my boss's deputy, great guy, um, based in the States, uh, sent me an email saying, hey, are there any photographs of this? So I said, yeah, actually, somebody took some. So I sent him one. And within about 45 minutes, he had sent it around to 250 of my colleagues and said, hey, look what Will's done. So uh, at that point, I was, I was properly outed. But I then, <laughs> then when I went around people, you know, in different countries, different places, different times of their lives, it opened up a whole series of conversations for people who said, you know, I was really glad to hear you'd done that. Um, you know, what does it mean to you? Because, you know, there, there's this aspect of my job that I think about or that that I worry about. Uh, and, you know, I always thought that I was alone. And so actually there are lots of people out there who have exactly these concerns, they express them in different ways, they use different words. But the real thing is, you know, essentially, is, is, it, is there something bigger than me? And is there something bigger than this job? And what does that mean for what I do? Uh, and that's a question that, that most people have. People suppress it, they try not to think about it. They think, you know, I'll be great on Sunday, the rest of the time, you know, I'll do what I do. But I, I think fundamentally, uh, on both sides of the Atlantic and indeed across the world, many people ask themselves that question. It's been fascinating as people hear about our show and we do, I don't know how it's happened, but we've got listeners from Thailand to South Africa and Russia and China. I have no idea how it happened, but I get occasional emails from people and they are amazed at the concept that their workplaces are mission field, that I, that I challenge people to start praying for their coworkers and employees, to pray for their bosses, for opportunities just to, to just to be seen uh, as a Christ follower in the workplace and to be able to share their faith. Uh, and it's amazing that people are like, nobody's ever said this to me before. So Will Morris, and he's, he's written this book that I found that it just was given to me by one of the, the, uh, publishers that I deal with is called where is God at work? And when I read the book, I read a lot of books, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm always looking for books that are practical that you and I can apply. And what I loved about what Will wrote in this book, where is God at work is that, it's full of all over the nation have used the three-step plan to make extra money, pay off bills, improve their lifestyle. Accountant. Basically, you're a tax specialist trying to help an international corporation you know, abide by the laws but not pay too much tax, which is what everybody wants to do. We don't, none of us want to pay any extra tax. How do you then tie in your job on Monday through Friday with the opportunities when you get a chance to preach on Sundays? How do you help people connect their faith and their work when you get the pulpit? Right. That's a great question. And uh, that, that's one that I frequently ask myself. Uh, an idea that I have found incredibly helpful uh, is by a guy called Richard Raw, um, a great American writer. Uh, and the idea that he has, it's not really the subject of a book. He wrote an article about it. It's called Living on the Edge of the Inside. And what he says is, you're in the inside. So he could be talking about the church, but he could be talking about a corporation as well. So you're inside, you honor it for what it is, you're not the angry guy on the outside throwing stones. But at the same time, you are close enough to the outside that you can see what's going on out there, uh, and you can also be honest about what's going on inside. So basically it's about asking yourself the questions, 
that I asked myself in the book, the questions that we were talking about in the last segment, you know, why am I doing this? What's the right thing to do? It's about not kidding yourself. So during the week, I have no illusions that what I do at the weekend, you know, makes me into a great guy. There is absolutely no idea of cleansing the week by being, you know, good on a Sunday morning. The whole thing has to be one. Uh, and that's the point about this. Uh, I keep, you know, that not everybody loves a creation story and we can view it in different ways to be sure. But for me, what it talks about is a God who is a worker and about a God who worked throughout the week. He created the whole world throughout the week. And the whole week is important to him. And it's one week. It's not like, you know, six sevenths of a week and one seventh of a week. It's actually about the whole week. Rest is part of that on the Sabbath, but work is also part of it. And so for me, it, it has to be part of the whole. So in the same way that, you know, at work during the week, you know, if we get a moment of downtime, reading the Bible, praying, listening to some some sacred music, you know, whatever it is that, that, that centers you and draws you close to Christ. But at the same time, at the weekend on a Sunday, even when we're worshiping in church, we should be thinking about what it is that we do the rest of the week and what that means to us. So it's, it's tying those, it's tying it all together. So we don't have, you know, compartments where we open one, slam the door on the other. It's about living a one whole life uh, and the whole week running together in that sense bits of it informing the other, recharging the batteries, whatever it is, but living it all as one. So the message on a Sunday has to relate to what goes on during the rest of the week, and it has to relate to people where they are. Uh, not everybody's in the workplace, but a lot of people are. And if we don't address that, if we don't speak to it, if we tell people that it's something different from what they're doing in church and worshiping, then we've got something quite badly wrong. How do you see people responding to that? The people that are sitting in the pews in your church on a Sunday, they got to give you feedback. How do they, how do they help you? How do they say, Pastor Will, or whatever they call you? What do they call you? I'm not sure what they call you, but what do they say, Pastor Will, what you just said to me, it makes, I was able to put it into practice, but what kind of feedback do you get from the pews, Will? I get a lot of positive feedback. I mean, you know, there are retired people to be sure, and there are some young people, um, uh, they're always interested. They actually have stuff to say. But the people in the workplace very often say, we don't hear enough of this. We don't hear it very often. Uh, and, you know, we worry about this stuff. So it's great. It's great to hear. It. Even if we don't agree with you, even if we don't think you should be a tax guy. You know, <laughs> we actually we actually love that somebody is dealing with this. And this is this is a point that I want to um, that, that I want to emphasize. When I got ordained, I assumed, uh, as most people do, that within four or five years, I'd have transitioned away from the workplace uh, and gone into the ministry full time. I have become convinced, you know, particularly in the area in which I'm in, which is challenging from time to time. You know, I need to read the newspaper <laughs> to see that. <laughs> That's but, for sure. Yeah. But then in the area that I'm in, being in that ambiguous place, that gray place, standing alongside people um, and saying, look, you know, I'm a person of faith. I, I don't have all the answers, but I'm standing here with you. And I think that the workplace is something worth working on, even if there are problems with it. I think that's really important for people to know. And so, you know, I actually think that, that my ministry is being a person of faith, being a priest, to be sure, um, but it being in the workplace as well as doing whatever it is that I do on a Sunday. And it's again, it's trying to hold all of those things together, albeit in, you know, creative tension, I guess. But trying to say that we can only live one life. 
Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, so here's here's a question for you. When you 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 mentioned that you know you've got some retired people in your congregation, and they don't necessarily it's not applying to them when you're talking about the workplace. There's a movement here in the United States as we talk about I work for him. We've actually created a sub segment on that called the I retire for him crowd. People that are retired that want they want to explore purpose because retirement's not really biblical. They're really wanting to explore purpose in their retirement years. They really want to know, how can I be intentional with my faith in those retirement years? How are you doing in helping those retired people find purpose in investing in the lives of those that come in the next generation? Sure. And that's a great point, because one of the things about retirement is that many people view it as stepping off a cliff. Um, you, you give up status, you give up uh, wages, you give up you know, a position, you give up something which fills your days. And a lot of people think, hey, what have I done? Uh, and you know, I, I talk a little about retirement in the book. There's a, there's a chapter on that. But the, the answer is that, firstly, you shouldn't judge yourself by your job. Um, the status that you have in a job is not who you are. Some people get that confused, but it's not who you are. But in retirement, even though you don't have a paying job, you don't work in a workplace as such, you know, everything we do um, can still be work for God. Uh, mm-hmm. It truly can. Um, and, you know, it's reaching out to people uh, to be sure you can do mentoring. Uh, I mean, one of the things that I talk about, I mean, again, as you'll know from reading the book, um, not all of my experiences in law firms were were entirely positive. But one <laughs> thing that they truly... One thing they you mean truly law firms? Get, that, you mean yeah. law firms there aren't any different than law firms here? Oh yeah, you worked on both sides of the ocean. I, are are I law firms the sides. same on both sides? Uh, they have some. They have some real similarities. <laughs> um, but look, you know, one of the things that they do right is that unlike a lot of jobs, they do not push people out. They'll move people to senior status. They'll they'll ask them to do less. They'll pay them less. But they're still around to be mentors to younger people and just right. to share their experience. Uh, and that's what retirees can do. I mean, you know, there are so many opportunities and we should value that more. But we should also view this as a continuum, um, you know, from from the very earliest days when we work at school through when we work in the workplace, through when we work in retirement. Um, you know, again, we, we draw these these two sharp distinctions, which make people feel that you know, at a certain point, at a certain cutoff, everything's changed. And it hasn't. People have huge amounts to offer, huge amounts. Well, I, I so agree with that, and that's really what my point was. Just we got to make sure that on both sides of the uh, of the Atlantic, that we we got to make sure that people that are retiring understand they are desperately needed in the pews, in the church, outside of the church, in the neighborhoods, everywhere. The young, the next generations desperately need the wisdom that they have. We're talking today with Will Morris, who wrote this book. Where is God at work? And Will, you're as a tax accountant, as a, a tax specialist, international tax specialist, you're, you're a priest, you, you're doing so much feeding into people's lives. What I loved best was as you laid up the beginning of this book, you talked about Jacob uh, and his first night on the run from Esau when he's got his, his head on a rock at what becomes a future place called Bethel. What was that vision that Jacob had and how did, why do you think it applies to our workplace? Uh, this is just one of my favorite Bible stories. Um, Jacob has done everything wrong. I mean, he has tricked his father. He's tricked his brother. He's conspired with his mother. Run off in the middle of the night. Um, and here he is, having done everything wrong, he is in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you know, this place is like a wasteland. 
and he goes to sleep. And what happens? But heaven touches earth, and he has this vision of angels ascending and descending on a ladder, um, and of God standing behind, beside him, making these amazing promises. He says, you know, I'll give you and your offspring everything. You shall become, you know, the people of the earth. You'll be blessed. Um, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you, and I'll be with you, and I'll bring you back to this land and give it to you. I mean, what an amazing set of promises for somebody who's done something, <laughs> a whole bunch of things that are wrong in this, room, in this you know, nothing place. And for me, the, what I take from this uh, is everybody think, or many people think that the workplace is barren. They think it's a place where nothing good can happen, where you'll, you, know, you can never do a, a thing. And what I say uh, in the book, the, the reason why I love this story here is think of Jacob and think of what happened to Jacob. And actually what happens is that earth touches heaven. The, the angels ascend and descend in the least likely places. You may be expecting it to be next to the altar, but actually it could be in your boss's office. It could be by the water cooler. It's just, it's the endless possibility. And what Jacob says when he wakes up, he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And if we take that idea into the workplace, how powerful is that? I mean, it's very powerful. That's what I loved about it. You, you drew that conclusion that that God is at work all around us. And as you said, yeah, Bethel at that point in time was a very, it was, it was a wasteland. And there were many, many, many years to come before that land would become the land of Israel. But it was, it, it, that was the beginning of Jacob starting to transform into the man that would one day become Israel. When you look at Jacob's life, what was the one thing that you saw? What was his response? What was, what was your response to his response as he says, the Lord is surely in this place? Have you ever had that in the workplace? Uh, occasionally, and it's always surprising. I mean, it, it is the biggest surprise, and that's the message from this. It's expect the unexpected. Prepare to be surprised. Open yourself to the possibilities of wherever you are. Don't come into a place with a fixed conclusion you know, with an absolute idea, an absolute idea of what can be done there and what can't be done there. It's prepared to be surprised. Be open. I mean, we know, I mean, to, to switch to the New Testament, um, you know, that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. There are opportunities everywhere. Um, it's be open like Jacob. Be prepared to be surprised. Uh, and that, for me, is the story of Jacob. Talking with Will Morris today, and he has written this book for you and for me, just practical stuff, stuff that he's experienced. Will, before I, you, I really want to talk about your chapter on team, on part of the team, but I literally laughed out loud reading your chapter on what you call the open office plan. And, and here in the States, we would just call that cubicle world or the land of sprawling cubicles. I, I just... That was, I've never read a practical book on how to deal with that in a Christ-like manner, the cubicles. Where did you ever come up with that? Um, it, <laughs> yeah, I laughed when I was writing it, too. Um, it's, I mean, it, it is. It's Dilbert. It's, uh, it, but it's the world that many <laughs> of us live in. And when I trained as a lawyer, I, you know, I worked on a long corridor of offices with closed doors and occasionally open doors. And then about five or six years ago, um, while I was transitioning from one office to another, I found myself an open plan. And uh, as I do with these things, I thought, well, okay, so what's going on here? Because most people actually don't terribly like open plan, um, you know, and there's all this stuff about cubicles and they become the same type of status thing as... Uh, 
you know, as offices, a four foot so, cubicle or a six foot cubicle or an eight foot right. cubicle. How, and, that's oh, right. yeah. you know, does it get, does it go up to my shoulder? Does it go up to my head? You know, how much stuff can I stick? Can I stick stuff on the wall? And then there's the question of hot desking, which is a different thing again. Um, and, you know, I thought about it. So I looked into the history of, uh, you know, as you can do these days, I look into the history of, of open plan. And actually, the idea behind it was really great. It was to make teams work better. It was to make things flow. And then you see what we humans do to, to what's a great idea. And, you know, what, a, what, what was a great idea then became a way of, you know, shaving the costs and uh, doing the set and the other. But nevertheless, you know, to the other things in the book, um, there are some really positive elements to, to, to cubicles done properly. Uh, it can make teams work much better. It can allow you to be much more connected to your neighbor than you can do. You know, if you've got your door closed and she's got a door closed and, you know, you never see each other. Um, but when you're leaving in the evening. So there are possibilities about this. But again, it goes to this point. It's just like Jacob's dream. It's like the ladder coming down. It's this totally unexpected place where actually something godly might be. Um, and therefore, I thought, well, I'll write about it. Um, and uh, I enjoyed doing that. You know, there are, there are aspects of it that people find troubling, but there are actually aspects of it where, again, if you come to it with uh, being open to the possibilities as opposed to being convinced of its awfulness, um, then you're going to get a whole lot more out of it. And you may well, actually be able to do something positive. And that's really true with anything. If we would come to just looking for the possibilities, where is God in this, as opposed to complaining about it, then, I mean, anything could be better if we allow the Holy Spirit to kind of influence our thinking. All right, so go on to your, your chapter on team. Let's just dig into the team thing a little bit. Uh, why is it a proper biblical understanding of teams so critical in working with others on a workplace team? Well, okay, so um, yeah, I'm, I know for certain for myself and for others, that uh, you know, a personal relationship with Christ is incredibly important, uh, and that is the foundation of our faith. But at the same time, we are called to be in relationship with other people. Um, we're called to be in relationship with people uh, in a church. We've come to think of a church as being a building, um, as being uh, you know, a group of people who are defined by that building. But actually, the relationship that we have with any community is the possibility for building something godly. Uh, and that is, surprise, surprise, you've you got the theme by now, that is as important in the workplace and as possible in the workplace uh, as it is anywhere. So the, the, the Bible reading, the passage that I use as the, uh, uh, as the start of this chapter is actually from, from, from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, and it actually talks about, you know, many gifts, one body. It talks about the things that we as individuals bring into a community where we're in relationship with one another which actually means that, yes, you know, the sum of the parts uh, is more than the individual um, uh, parts in that, which is not to say that the individual is not important and not to say that we do not have individual responsibilities, but it's to say that in a team, there are new and different possibilities. To use a different Bible reading, um, uh, when Jesus talks about salt and light, he talks about us being a lamp, but he also talks about the city on the hill. Uh, and in, in both of those, you have the idea of a community being the light and an individual being the light. So, you know, both of those in there. And the team is a really important part of that. And it gives us this opportunity to to interact with others, but also to care for them, to be responsible for them, to find out things about them, to help them. Uh, and in doing that, to help ourselves as well, because what we put into others, we get back. Um, you know, it, it, in a sense, it's not a difficult idea. Once you 
sort of got your head around the fact that everything is an opportunity uh, and that those opportunities don't just exist on a Sunday morning. Well, and you know, a lot of people listening today that have gone to college in the last 20 years realize that one of the, I don't know, one of the most awful experiences they had in college was the group project. And because there's always somebody in the group that doesn't do any work, there's always somebody in the group that does a majority of the work. But for the most part, it's learning how to operate as a team. How critical is it for us to understand team and the fact that none of us is as smart as all of us when we're looking for that opportunity to minister to those in a workplace? Um, It's a really important idea. Um, You know, we are all beset by the temptation to try and show sometimes that we're smarter than other people to to you know, to get certain things. So part of it is about is about dealing with that. But there's another idea that I want to introduce, which I think is really important as well, which is that it is we have a the opportunity to help God in the workplace, and by building the workplace up um, to make it into something special, to make it a a better part of creation, if you will. Uh, and you know everything since since Adam and Eve, since the fall, has been about rebuilding, is about the rehealing. Obviously, Jesus is central to that. The death on, his death on the cross is crucial in that. But we have a part to play as well in that. And in the workplace, that is going to be done by the team. It's not done by separate individuals doing separate things. But the, what, the, what, the, what the workplace can do, what it can do as a community, what it can do as a community which interacts with the larger community around it uh, is often going to be done by the team, um, and therefore, you know, the team is the team is a crucial part of this. Um, but again, to go go back to this very basic point, we're called to be in relationship with God, and He calls us to be in relationship with each other, and that again is where the team comes in. Well, and you you relate that to that team being a place where we get to minister to the naked, the hungry, the imprisoned, and that opportunity to really touch people on a personal, vulnerable level. Because when you're working on a project, when you're working on a team, it is critical that everybody trusts everybody. All right, I'm going to transition into, you wrote another chapter on the newbie, the new person coming in the office. And and nobody, you call it the new arrival. In, In the States, we call it, oh, they're the newbie. You know, nobody likes being the newbie in the office. However, you spent a whole chapter talking about the ministry opportunity that a new hire brings. Why are new people so often shunned in an office? They're shunned in an office because they represent change. Sometimes they represent a threat. Um, sometimes they they just, there's something new um, that comes into something which may be settled, where people may have a rhythm. Um, but actually, as I go on to say in the chapter, what they also bring is this possibility of freshness, this possibility of thinking about new things. Uh, I'm in the process of changing jobs right now, so I'm thinking quite hard about this. Um, uh, yeah, I've been in, the current, in my current job for 17 years. I'm doing some things um, pretty deeply in a rut. Uh, and what being a new person, what a new person coming in does is make you look up and say, you know, can I do this differently? Is there a different way of doing this? But also it's that idea of, of freshness of, you know, what are the possibilities in this job? Because sometimes we just, you know, sort of we fix our eyes on the floor and we, you know, put one foot in front of the other. Uh, and that's all we do. And what the new person does, sometimes scarily, you know, some, they can be younger than us. They can have a huge amount of energy. They can, you know, they can appear to be, you know, somebody who has this great reputation. Um, they threaten people. 
But at the same time, if we if we draw them in, if we take them to ourselves, uh, and again, we look for the opportunity rather than the challenge or the threat, they can make us look at things in new ways. They can mm -hmm. help us recapture that freshness. And that and that's really that's one of the coolest things when you hang out with the newbie, they're asking questions that they don't know that they shouldn't ask. And so they're asking questions that everybody's wanted to ask, but nobody was willing to because they were afraid to ask. But you also mentioned so that's when the newbie comes in the office, they bring in that freshness that they, they can see the forest for the trees. But it also provides an opportunity for us as people that are entrenched in the organization to actually minister to those people? What are some of the things that you see that we as Christ followers can do for that new person? Absolutely. And that goes to, to the point uh, you were making earlier about retirees and, you know, the experience that they can uh, and the knowledge that they can impart to, to younger people. It's about helping to mentor them. It's about helping to bring them into the organization and to make them feel wanted uh, and to, um, you know, to, to tell them where the bear traps are, to tell them, you know, who some of the difficult people are uh, and some of the things they, they, they should be looking out for. Because, you know, one of the terrible things about being a newbie is that people can leave you on your own uh, and you stumble into all sorts of things. And you think, oh, no, how did I do that? Um, and again, what this what this allows you to do as somebody who's there is not just to get freshness from them, but actually to be able to share your experience and to help them. And that, again, is about that's again about being in relationship with somebody. It's about the idea of what the team can provide. Uh, and, you know, there are, there are so many things. We have an age span, you know, 20, 30, 40 years uh, in many offices, huge range of experience, a ton of things to share. And yet if we shut ourselves away and say, no, no, you know, that, that, that guy can fend for himself, um, you know, all of that's wasted. Well, and you really bring out what, what a ministry opportunity it is to, I mean, it's when you, you ask that question, where's God at work? And when the new person comes through the door, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there. And if you are the one that reaches out to that new person, you've got a chance to develop a relationship with them. And it, it not only helps them succeed in what they're going to do, which will then help your company succeed, but it also gives you a fresh perspective. I mean, it's really a spot where, you know, the Lord is present in you greeting the new hire. Absolutely. Once again, that ladder touches, you know, touches down. Uh, and in this unexpected opportunity, um, that's there. I mean, to, to put it in slightly different terms, which will sound facile, but actually aren't. Yeah, it is win-win. Both sides win. The, new, the newbie wins, but also you win as well. Um, you know, I, I, think having, I, I think having new people come that have fresh blood, but also the opportunity to help those people is uh, is absolutely great. Um, you know, we we can we can get stuck in a rut, to be sure. Well, I don't know, but maybe it's just you UKers get stuck in a rut. Us, and you know, in the United States, we don't get stuck in ruts. I'm just well, kidding. Just I'm myself. kidding. I'll just. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, that, I think that's how our country got started, wasn't it? We were. Uh, I think. Yep. Yep. I think that's what it was. All right, we'll get started on this part of the conversation, and we'll carry it on after the break. But in the second section of your book, you deal with dilemmas that we face at work regarding the application of our faith specifically to things that happen at work. I want to just pick one because we're running out of time. What happens if I do something bad in the workplace? Why did you write that chapter? Um, because I thought it was an important one. Uh, again, this is a question I asked myself, and uh, just to be very clear about this, um, you know, I've done bad things in the workplace. They may not be as bad as some other people's bad things, but I, you know, they're not things that I feel great about. And the question is, what do we do about that? 
because as I say in the in the chapter, we hurt at least three different people when we do that. We hurt God, to be sure. Um, we hurt our fellow team members, uh, and we hurt ourselves, in addition to potentially hurting the work of the, uh, the office as well. And today we're talking with a man who gets it. He's an international tax specialist. He's a pastor. He's, he's a guy that wrote a book, Where is God at Work? We're talking with Will Morris today. You could check him out online at whereisgodatwork.org, whereisgodatwork.org. Will, right before the break, I asked you this question. You wrote this chapter. Uh, what happens if I do something bad in the workplace? So my question for you is, how can God use me if I screw up, if I do something bad in the workplace? Where's God in that? Well, Jim, the answer is he's in the same place when we screw up everywhere. Um, you know, we, we, we do. I mean, look, what's this about? I mean, you know, we do we do bad things. And the most amazing thing that happened in our life in the whole world in history is that Jesus died to save us from our sins. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is always available. And, you know, we're nuts if we don't think that that applies in the workplace uh, as much as it applies, again, you know, in church, in our personal relationships. In all of those places, it does. So, you know, the, the trouble with, uh, I'll call it sin for these purposes, the trouble with sin is that, you know, it sort of weighs us down uh, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And that's as true if we mess up, if we do something bad in the workplace, everywhere else. It just, it's like something that weighs us down. And what I want to say in this chapter is, you know, God is in this because we have the possibility, we're, we're always forgiven. But to do that, we have to activate it. We have to reach out to God. But in the context of the workplace, as in personal relationships, as, you know, wherever, we also need to work, reach out to our fellow workers. Uh, we, you know, if we've hurt them, we need to say sorry to them. We need, but also, we need to say sorry to ourselves. We need to accept the forgiveness which has been offered to us. So, you know, this is an opportunity when we do something bad in the workplace to say sorry, to fess up, as I put it in the book, to, sure. to fess up to God to fess up to our fellow workers, and also to ourselves. We need to be honest with ourselves about what it is that we've done. And but what kind of an off- impact do you see? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what, is, what kind of impact do you see, Will, when you've confessed to somebody, when you've, when you've, asked for, you've, you've offered an apology, you've asked for your forgiveness, what kind of an impact does that make? It's huge. It is absolutely huge, because this is one of the things about the workplace. Everybody views it as being you know, terribly competitive. It's, it's different from a friendship. It's different from being into church. Um, and when somebody in the workplace says, you know, look, I'm really sorry. I messed up. I did something wrong. I hurt you. People go, wow, this is happening in the workplace. This is something I'd never have expected. And again, it's that unexpected thing. And it's in, in some ways, it's even more powerful than when you do it in a personal context, because it is so unexpected in that work setting. And that's that's one of the that you know that's part of the power of this. It's it's understanding that God is as present here and in the mess ups that we make as He is in all the great things that we do as well. You know, and I have lived that, and and I so when I read that, that's why I wanted to talk about it because one of the things that I've always you know, I grew up in a generation where most of my first bosses were traditionalists, where they would never admit when they were wrong. And I realized as a manager, one of the biggest powers I had over my people was when I was willing to admit when I screwed up and apologize to them and ask their forgiveness. And if I did it with my own kids and said, hey, I screwed up, that all of a sudden it gave me more influence over them. And it also made me a better 
person. It made me more rounded in Christ to actually live that way. It changed the, it shifted the paradigm of all the relationships of my direct reports. Yep, that's absolutely right, uh, and that's that's the power of that. That's that's the power of God. We'll talk about how people can get a hold of you on the internet, and and because you, you do a blog and you're talking about writing another book, people can find you where. Um, so. Uh, whereisgodatwork.org is there, but also people can email me directly. Uh, I'm very happy for that. Uh, and there should be an email address on that website. If not, I'll send it to you and you can send it out to, to folks. I'm always happy for people to reach out to me. Whereisgodatwork.org. Will Morris, this is a great conversation. I really appreciate your book. When you get your next one written, or if you've got a great story from over there where somebody in the congregation stands up and interrupts you in the middle of the service and says, hey, pastor, I got a story from my workplace I want to tell you, make sure you let me know and we can highlight it on a future I Work For Him show. But Will Morris, thanks for being on I Work For Him today. Will, thank you very much. All right, we're... All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to I Work For Him today as we talk with Will Morris about his book, Where Is God at Work? And you can check him out online at whereisgodatwork.org. It's just great to know that there's resources out there that are just practical for you and I as we walk, trying to figure out where is God in the difficult situations like we talked about today, in the team, in the cubicle world, yeah, in, in working alongside the newbie. How about when I screw up? Where is God in it when I screw up? Having a resource, be able to have somebody else's perspective on how do I handle all this? Where is God at work.org. You've been listening to I Work for Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. I figured out my workplace, it's my mission field, but ultimately, I work for Him. <laughs>